Did you know that it's possible to raise your littles to want to listen to you without the use of consequences, rewards, and bribes? Hi, I'm Kaylee Zeyer, and this is the Chaos to Connected podcast, where we discuss simple yet effective parenting strategies to manage those pesky behaviors we go to bed at night hoping will be gone tomorrow. We're going to stand up to societal norms of disconnection, shaming, and punishments so we can take a deeper look into our child's heart. It's there you'll find connection, and there where you'll find more peace, obedience, respect, and joy. So what are you waiting for? We know those behaviors aren't going to go away on their own. Let's dive in. Hey there, and welcome to the Chaos to Connected podcast. Today, I'm going to be doing a Q&A episode, so I have a bunch of questions that I'm going to go through And I'm just going to try to get to as many as I can in about our normal episode length Um, and maybe do these a little bit more often because I do them weekly on Instagram, but it can be hard to go into the detail that I would like to go into. So if you have any questions that you want answered or want expanded on, please send me an email or go to Instagram and DM me like for your Q&A episode or something like that. And I'd be happy to address that here on the podcast. The first question that I want to talk about is, it says, we've been trying a few different calming strategies, but they don't seem to be helping. So this is something that I am really passionate about. And one of my main focuses is debunking the fact that calming strategies are what are needed to help with behavior. I think just in general, if, I mean, even as I'm scrolling through, I'm in a couple groups, you know, on Facebook that aren't aren't like related to behavior necessarily, but just, you know, uh, Minnesota moms group and just different groups like that. And so often I will see somebody ask for recommendations for some behavior that they're struggling with. And a large majority of the comments are calming strategies. Have you tried them? Have you done this? Have you created a calming space? And while those things aren't bad, I think that a lot of the reason we're not seeing improvement when we're trying to do calming strategies is because we have just as a whole utilized that as our step one, but really it's step three in the process. And so when you are trying to help your child to work through big feelings, a lot of times, you know, okay, this behavior is happening, inject calming strategy here. And it's not working one, probably because your child is refusing to do it. If your child is triggered and in that kind of fight or flight state or in a meltdown, they're not going to be like, oh yeah, okay, I'll take deep breaths or I'll, you know, blow bubbles or something. You know, for some kids that might work. It might, it might work, um, especially if they're not in such a heightened state of emotion, but for a lot of kids and in my experience, they're not going to be like, oh yeah, I'll do that. You know, they're going to resist. And then it becomes, well, and how do we get them to do it? And, you know, even thinking about teaching a child a self-regulation program, which again, I'm not knocking. I think these are things that are perfectly acceptable to be doing. I have done it lots of times as an OT. But the thing is, is that most often kids can relay the information, right? If you're going through you know, strategies to help you calm down or strategies to help wake you up. A child will likely be able to rattle those off when they're in a calm state. The problem is, is that when they are dysregulated, 
often they're going again into that fight or flight response where they have been so triggered. They're responding from subconscious levels. They cannot take in information. They can't really hear what you're saying. They don't have access to reasoning or problem solving or judgment. And so when we're trying to get them to engage in this self-regulation program, we can't because they're too far gone at that point. We need to reel them back in, get them back connected, get their thinking brain back turned on. And that's when you'll see improvement in using calming strategies. That being said, also, I think one of the biggest issues with just focusing on calming strategies and self-regulation programs is that it's like an immediate, we see a behavior, let's squash it with a calming strategy when we need to allow our kids to work through feelings and behavior is communication, right? It's communicating the fact that your child has deeper feelings here. You know, maybe they're hitting, but like, sure, the issue is hitting, but actually the deeper issue is why is your child hitting? You know, is, are they just really, 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 really angry or is there a deep-rooted fear going on? And that's what we need to get to. And when we just immediately go to, oh, let's teach a child a self-regulation program or let's figure out what calming strategies to use, we're almost bypassing that. And so when you do that, even if your child is willing to do a calming strategy, you're blocking them from releasing all of those emotions. And we know that it is so important for just people in general to an emotional health, mental health, and well-being that we need to be able to express feelings. And so it's going to start with not focusing on calming strategies, but really focusing on the connection first. And then also your ability to manage your own triggers as the caregiver, because our kids are learning through co-regulation. They're not learning by you telling them, okay, when you're upset, you know, do your deep breathing or do this or that. They are first learning okay, when my mom's really upset and she's triggered, what does she do? You know, if she yells or slams the door, guess what your child's going to do? And so this is another reason why we're seeing struggles with self-regulation programs because, you know, if you're not engaging in those things as the parent and modeling them, your child is going to have a much harder time implementing them in the moment, but also because of they need that foundation of connection. And this is something that, I go through very in-depth into each of those categories in the coaching programs that I do for people and work with people on. Um, we got, go through all of the connection strategies. We figure out how to get to the root cause of your triggers, how to process through them, how to handle them. And then we do also talk about self-regulation or sensory strategies if needed But oftentimes we don't need to focus there because a large majority of kids, unless there's a sensory processing disorder, don't actually need everything to be spelled out for them. They need exposure and experience with the strategies so that their brain can have that awareness of the strategy and how it makes them feel. And their brain can then, in those moments of, you know, beginning dysregulation, they can kind of go to them. So it is not a main focus in our... In my coaching program sessions, it is something that we cover. And if your child does have a sensory problem or a disorder, obviously that would become more of a focus because that's different. So this is just a a neurotypical child without sensory processing that I'm kind of referring to here. I do also have a couple podcasts on this that I talk more in depth on, um, both on calming strategies and calming spaces. So I will link them in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to them if you haven't yet. 
Okay, next question. How do you support a child through big feelings while you have other kids running around? Now, this can be tricky. Um, And depending on your kids' ages, there might need to be some adjustments. But I have really always explained the importance of having feelings and allowing space to work through them. So I, you know, when my oldest is struggling, maybe, for example, and my youngest is running around, or vice versa, I say, you know, okay, well, I have spent time, you know, when you're upset, I sit with you and I listen to your big feelings. And now I'm going to do that for your brother. I will often um, bring my child who's having difficulty into their bedroom just because it's safer. Um, Just physically in our home, we have a lot of hardwood floors. Bedrooms have carpet, and so it's safer that way. That way I don't have to feel like I need to like try to contain them to keep other people safe and them safe or me safe. Um, it just allows me more control um, and an ability to actually attend to the supporting role versus like, oh, I got to make sure everybody's safe. And often what I'll do is sit and leave the door cracked so that um, you know I can kind of hear what else is going on. Now, this might look different based on your child's ages or what they're willing to do. So if you have a child who is younger in your, you know, with your older child or something or vice versa, even you could direct them to do something specifically, like have a basket of art supplies or toys that aren't always out, travel size games, books, audiobooks. Um, ask them to do a task for you. Like, can you go do this? Can you make a card for grandma? You know, whatever it might be. And have those things ready beforehand so that, you know, you can say, okay, you know what, your brother, your sister is having a really hard time right now. I need to listen and help them work through it. Here's something for you to do or, you know, find something to play. And if you don't know what to do, here's something that you can do, something like that. And honestly, if it seems too difficult, in my mind, this is very, 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 very important that your child is being able to process through emotions. And so in my mind, if if your child is, you know, little or maybe not even little, but struggles to listen to what you're saying, or, you know, is one of those kids that just has to be by you or is kind of interrupting, you know, maybe some screen time, maybe that's where you use it and you use it more strategically versus just, you know, kind of whenever, maybe that's a good time to implement it or do like an educational game or something at that point. Because sometimes if you have other children running around and they're constantly interrupting you um, to, you know, ask for something or need your help or something, you can't really focus, but also it can distract your other child who is having the emotions. And if they aren't able to actually like work through and process through those feelings, it's going to keep coming up. Like, you're going to keep having catalysts throughout the day that they're trying to start offloading things, which can make the day feel a lot more difficult. If you want more help with that or something, or you have any questions, feel free to DM me um, or send me an email and we can chat about it. Okay. The next one, meltdowns every time we get home from daycare. What am I doing wrong? Oh dear person who sent this, you aren't doing anything wrong. This is exactly how I felt. Um, when my oldest went to daycare at night, he would just, I just felt like it was a constant attack on me, not even necessarily physically, but just like 
whining and just behavior and just I felt like what am I doing wrong? Why is he directing everything to me versus, you know, my husband for example? And the truth is is that, you know, you're your child's safe person. They feel safe enough to share their true feelings, their true self with you. And that's a good thing. That means that you have created a space that, you know, feels safe for your child. Your child feels like they can trust you recognizes that you are there to support them and help them and them having a bad day or having big feelings or a behavior that maybe isn't so pleasurable isn't going to scare you off and you're still going to love them anyways. So if this isn't a newer behavior, you know, you might want to look deeper into what might be happening at daycare as well, you know. So if you feel like you are, okay, let me back up. Number one, you should be regularly doing listening sessions. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I will link the stay listening episode in the show notes as well. That is a key strategy that needs to be implemented here because your child needs to be able to process feelings that are going on. If you feel like you're doing that and you're still not noticing improvement, check what might be happening in daycare. Is a child getting in trouble? or scolded for some reason? What is the teacher or the provider's kind of personality or how do they carry themselves? Is it clashing with your child? Does your child tend to be more sensitive and taking on other kids' feelings or hurts? Or, you know, somebody else is sad and so they kind of take that on. It might not be something that's directly happening to them, but maybe somebody else in the classroom is there or the daycare environment? Is there clear boundaries and structure and focused attention by the provider or is there more distraction and attention in other places? I had seen several times that likely the lack of attention, like focused attention on the kids can be a big issue. They don't necessarily feel safe. Um, They don't feel like they have the help. So there might be things going on that are bothering your child. Kids are stealing toys or hitting them or whatever it might be. And that person that's supposed to be kind of in charge isn't really paying attention. And, you know, that could be a big issue too. So, um, those, those questions aren't necessarily going to change what you do unless, you know, you feel like you need to remove the child, but it can give you a better perspective when you're kind of in those difficult times getting home from daycare and getting through the listening sessions and remembering all of the things that the child might need to be processing through, which, you know, sometimes that's just what we need is a deeper perspective of what is going on that are causing these things and it can kind of help you to remain calm. A few other things that you might want to consider, you know, if your child is younger and can't communicate as easily, or even if they're not, it might be the main way that they process through what happened that day. They might not have the words to describe how they're feeling, or they might not know what to say. Sometimes it can be a catalyst for releasing other stored up feelings that aren't necessarily related to that day, but haven't been processed yet. Um, Kids can hold on to things for long periods of time, especially if you have a more sensitive child. Uh, I'm just going to give you this example because I think it's a good picture of how kids can hold on to something and we don't even realize it. So when I was doing daycare, my oldest was, well, he was three when we started turn four and he had been playing with um, a girl. She was older than him, but around the same age. And, you know, they were playing together while I was with the younger kids Obviously, you know, they were supervised still, but they were kind of off doing their own thing 
and the other kids, you know, were much littler. So they needed more focused attention by me. And about two weeks later, he shows me that she had taken a marker and made maybe like an inch mark on a canvas picture that he had painted. And he was so upset about it. And now in the grand scheme of things, this doesn't seem like a big problem, but you can see how that would hurt a child's feelings. But also the fact that he held on to that for two weeks before he was able to share that with us. You know, sometimes there's things that kids hold on to that aren't necessarily about that day or that week, but that have happened that are still kind of festering in there. And if you think about things in your life, there might be things that didn't happen today or yesterday or last week, but something that you're still kind of ruminating on. And if you're like me, maybe going over and over in your head about what you would have said or done differently. Um, And then lastly, if your child has sensory processing difficulties, maybe another diagnosis or just generally is more sensitive, or if they haven't gone to daycare before and now they are, or they went like half days or a couple days a week and now it's more full-time situation there can be some overstimulation happening you know from all of the lights and the noise and the action or the movement from all the other kids um, which can also create some of these heightened responses okay the next question two and a half year old and currently pregnant she is overly attached to my husband and doesn't want anything to do with me I'm so deflated and don't know how to deal or how to handle so it's likely that even though your child is young, your child knows a big change is coming. And even if you haven't like talked a lot about it, which I'm guessing most people probably do, but even if you like say nothing about it, your child knows. <laughs> they just do. They're very sensitive to those things. And they might be feeling worried. She might be feeling fear, uneasiness. And it's completely foreign to them, right? And it's such a big transition. They don't necessarily know what it means. Uh, this is something that I heard once and I really like to share it with parents because I think it gives a really good perspective and it really helped me is that when you have another child or you're bringing another child into your home, it is like if your husband were to go out and get another wife, bring her home and say, she's going to live here, but I still love you, you know? And that seems kind of silly, but isn't that such a huge thing? Like, how upset would you be if you were like, um, what? You know, and that's what the transition is like for kids. And I think it's just like the easiest way that we can maybe compare or get the perspective of our child. And even if they're happy about a new sibling, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, big feelings aren't going to come from that. Make sure that you are creating opportunities for consistent listening sessions So she can be processing these big feelings that she doesn't really know how to describe or maybe what to do with. And then remember that, like I mentioned before, if a child is outwardly able to respond to you in that way or wanting to spend more time with the other parent or, you know, just kind of making you feel like this mom says deflated, it's it feels really negative, but it's a sign that you've created a space where your child feels comfortable sharing their feelings with you and sharing maybe the not so, not so good ones, knowing that you, you can take the big feelings and you're still going to love your child no matter what. 
really try to detach your feelings from your child and remind yourself that she feels safe. She knows that no matter what, she can trust you. And that's why she's outwardly expressing the fact that she doesn't want you. She wants her dad. If it were not this way, then she might not feel as safe or comfortable saying those things, you know, to you. The other thing I would recommend is doing special time. Um, And if you only have, you know, this one child and you're pregnant, it might feel like, well, I spend lots of one-on-one time with her, but really doing special time where she's in control could really help boost that connection that you're feeling is missing both for you and for her. So again, if you don't know what special time is, it's different than one-on-one time. There are some key differences. I am going to link that episode in the show notes. It's episode one. If you've never listened to it, I would really encourage you to do that. Even if you're not in this situation, special time is so transformative for any kid. And even my, well, he's three now, but when he was two, we did special time you know, back then as well. And if we missed a night, he would ask for it. So kids learn rather quickly, even if they're young, that it feels good to them and they want to do it. Okay. Last question. Four-year-old is starting to display some aggressive behaviors, not sure how to help. So aggressive behavior is very challenging, right? Because not only it's often triggering for us because we don't want our kid to hurt other kids, but it can be, you know, triggering for other reasons as well. This is the exact reason why I got into, you know, being trained in this parenting style and why I'm sharing this information with you is because I struggled with aggressive behaviors with my oldest who had never been aggressive before, kind of came out of the blue, OT stuff wasn't working and I didn't know what to do and it was very triggering for me. So aggression often stems from a couple things. It's generally our natural like human response when we're really upset and angry, like think of, have you ever hit something, punched a wall, punched a pillow? Do you know somebody who has, you know, it's kind of our natural response, but aggressive behavior also really stems from fear. So this could be fear of place in, in your family, especially if you have, you know, multiple children, if you have a new sibling, sometimes it's separation fear. There's all sorts of reasons, but it's generally a root of fear. And um, what you need to do if your child is aggressive is hold a firm limit, you know, take them to a safe place, safely stop the behavior, and then engage in a listening session. Now, when you're engaging in a listening session, the goal is to get to crying. So often we you know, you might see the aggressive behavior and think, oh, my child's processing their big feelings, but really we need to get to the crying. That's where the true processing happens. So you can go to episode 17 of the podcast and just kind of get more detail about this. I will also link that in the show notes, but I am also working on creating a mini course all about a step-by-step guide of what to do with aggressive behaviors because it is extremely challenging you know, and it can be really frustrating because your child might be hurting somebody else or you or a sibling. And it can be, it can feel like, what, what do I do here? So I'm working on creating a step-by-step guide that goes through exactly what to do. We have successfully pretty much eliminated. I mean, every now and then you're going to get behaviors that will pop up again with, you know, 
big transitions or life change or something like that. But for the most part, it has completely gone away. So this mini course is going to help you to do the same for your child who is struggling with aggressive behaviors. Now I have a bonus. I'm going to put a link for a wait list. It is planning. My plan is to have it launched by Monday, November 13th. If you are on the wait list and you decide to, you know, opt into this mini course, if you're on the wait list, you will get a bonus of one free week of Voxer, which if you don't know what Voxer is, it's essentially like instant messaging, but like a walkie talkie. So if you have a question, if you're like, I tried this and it didn't work, you can send me a voice message. You can send me a video. You can send me text, whatever works for you and explain the situation or let me know what your question is, what you need help with. And I can do the same back for you and provide kind of more in the moment help. So this is normally at least a $200 value that I'm going to give you for free as a bonus if you are on the wait list. So if this is at all of interest to you, it's not obviously going to commit you to anything, but if you're at all interested in, you know, this mini course, helping your child with a step-by-step guide of what to do about aggressive behaviors to nearly eliminate them, I'm not going to say eliminate them altogether because again, there might be flare-ups, but it will give you confidence and empowerment in knowing what to do, when, how to do it, why we're doing it, and all of the good stuff frequently asked questions additional tips like it's going to be a bunch of goodness everything you need to deal with these behaviors and get them to drastically decrease head to the show notes um, get on the wait list and then once it's ready i will be able to contact you and then obviously you can look over the information and decide if it's something you want to jump into or not but the bonus is only for those on the wait list. So if you have any interest, I would get on the wait list so that you have the opportunity to get that free week of Voxer if you decide to opt in. All right, I hope this was helpful. If you have any questions that you want answered, feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram, put your question in the poll box that I share every week on Tuesdays, or um, email me and I would be happy to do some more of these. All right, with that, I hope you have a great weekend and I will chat with you next time. Real quick, before you go, if you felt encouraged and inspired by listening to this show, I'd love for you to leave a rating or review over at Apple Podcasts so we can spread the word to help other mamas feel less alone and find beauty in the behaviors. You can also take a screenshot of this episode, share it over on your Instagram stories and tag me at Kaylee Josire and we'll all do a little happy dance together. I love nothing more than to cheer you on along this journey. This work is so hard, but don't forget, God has not only called you to it, but he has equipped you for it. Now go get connected. I'll see you next week.